millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mercedes almost finished second in the Constructors' Championship last season with the wrong concept. Imagine how good they could do with the, with the right concept. A week and a bit on from a tough start to the 2023 season in Bahrain, we are back and looking forward to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. While the chances of jumping above Red Bull and co remain slim to non-existent, the good news is that the characteristics of the Jeddah circuit, front limited with lots of straights, are expected to benefit Mercedes' current troubles. An aura of doom and gloom may remain, but we're going to bridge the gap from last week's negativity and look at things in a more positive light. My name is Valve Baines, and in this episode of the Silver Arrows podcast, we're joined by aerospace engineer, host of the Tech Heads podcast, and Mercedes fan Bryson Sullivan to help us get excited about the upcoming weekend and beyond. But before we do that, let me just take a moment to do my usual massive thank you for all the support and feedback on the podcast so far. We're delighted with how people are enjoying what we're producing. I want to continue to get into the ears of those who will take the most out of it. To help us do that, there are three things you can do. Firstly, if you haven't listened back to the previous episodes, go and check them out. Secondly, subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice and leave us a review. This means that you'll get all of our episodes directly into your podcast feed and help others find it on the charts. And finally, please share episodes you enjoy with friends and like-minded folk. Go on our profile on Twitter. Remember to tag us in at MercF1Pod. Post it on Reddit and WhatsApp it to your friends. Whatever you're doing to help get this in the ears of Mercedes fans is a massive, massive boost to us, and we really appreciate it. For now, let's get down to business and jump in with Bryson. Firstly, Bryson, thank you so much for joining us. Last week's episode was a sad one in the shadow of the Bahrain Grand Prix, but we're looking to you to bring a bit more positivity this week. Let's start by touching on last week very briefly before looking into the future. At Rhett Baylor ask, what are your thoughts around Mercedes fans throwing in the towel after a single race? Now, I'm not sure if I'm right to believe this, but there is a still a lot to play for. Adelaide's also asking, what is your opinion on the current W14 supposedly bringing a prototype car? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm glad to be able to join you on this five fine evening to talk about F1 and Mercedes. The phrasing of that question is quite interesting to me, as if it was Mercedes fans themselves who were throwing in the towel where I think a more accurate description of what's going on is that the team as a whole has recognized that the current development direction is not going to yield the kind of gains that they're looking for to fight for a championship. And more importantly, even if it was, it's not happening fast enough. We essentially ran a scientific experiment in Bahrain with Aston Martin, same gearbox, same power unit, same rear suspension, very different results. Right? Clearly, there is something else going on there that needs attention. As far as what the positives are about Mercedes, 
I know there's not an overabundance of positives uh, from Bahrain, but what I would point out is what we saw was probably the perfect wake-up call, probably the perfect opportunity to actually make fundamental changes as opposed to continuing to push in the wrong direction. So that's kind of how I would phrase that particular question. With regard to what was it a b car was the suggestion that yeah like a like a concept car almost coming through that they they're gonna have another maybe upgrade in imola or baku that, that that's what we're reading at the moment so yeah. what, what's your thoughts on that there definitely is an upgrade coming and there's a, a major one happening in imola the thing that i would point out is the types of radical changes concept changes that were talked about earlier in the season or after the race that's not what's coming in imola as far as my understanding is happening uh, Mike Elliott gave an interview with Ted Kravitz in his development corner after F1 testing, and he said pretty much point blank that there was a major change coming to the car, both in side pod design, but also in concept. And I use the term air quotes there because I really like the term philosophy instead of concept. It, it helps to convey what we're talking about as more than just side pods. But that change was in development for quite some time. It will include changes to the side pods, but that was a, a pre-Bahrain race evaluation of where the team stood. The actual types of changes, changes that we're going to see moving forward are much more significant. Now, they may not be visually significant because the philosophy of the car includes all kinds of things like how high the front wing is off the ground, the floor design, the diffuser, how the side pods work with all those things together. We may not see all the things, but conceptually, the team is moving in a different development direction. And that is actually what they're looking forward to, to give them the, the gains they're looking for. So, so why do you think that is? Why do you think they're, they're going in a, in a different direction? And with the stuff that you've just mentioned there, Bryson, does it suggest that, that, that there is light at the end of the tunnel? I, I think everyone was kind of caught out by how much Red Bull gained in the offseason. Now, obviously, a part of that is what we can see, but another part of that is what we can't see, the under the floor and the weight of the car. I think Mercedes is, is full of talented brilliant and highly motivated engineers who in their work were finding lap time tenths of a second you know a couple of tenths here a couple of tenths there and they built a car that is by and large better than the w13 was at the same time last season for example doesn't have any porpoising to speak of i think they were just surprised by how ambitious the targets actually needed to be to be competitive in an, in an absolute sense i think that's probably the the, the biggest question but no, I mean, when we talk about the development direction of a car and, and where we think it's going, I would look to other teams first, as opposed to trying to start completely anew. Start from an initial point in the design space where other teams have found some lap time and then build upon that. It simply isn't the case that copying another team's car will automatically gain you lap time. You have to understand that, first of all, and then build upon it to continue being competitive. You mentioned my word of, of 2022 there, Bryson, porpoising. So do you, do you think Mercedes focused on that so much that they've sort of struggled this year, even though we've only had one race? I mean, that's certainly that's certainly part of the reason why they were focusing so much on the current version of the car that, that we saw. Like if there are major developments coming down the line, they are in response to fixing some of the major problems to begin with. Because we have to remind ourselves, before testing started, Mercedes didn't even know for sure if they had eliminated the porpoising problem. We know that they ran a high downforce wing during during preseason testing just to see if they could induce it and, and make sure that they didn't have a problem. So I think that, I don't want to say that they were focusing too much on that, but anyone who saw the 2022 season has to know how important that particular issue was and eliminating it completely had to have been uh, top of mind. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely a good point. Um, Carl Tucker, 93 on Twitter, asked a, a very good question asking, what directions do you think has the most potential in terms of aero, uh, in your opinion? So to answer what direction I think they should go, and I think we should take one quick step back into how we got here in the first place. Right. And I think this actually goes back to the Mercedes W09. It sort of started a trend of shrinking smaller and smaller side pods that seemed to give more and more performance from the flow to the back of the diffuser and, and, and the, the, the back end of the car and the Coke bottle. There seemed to be a positive feedback loop there where the smaller you could make those side pods, the more performance you could derive. But when we got to the 2022 set of regulations, that doesn't seem to be yielding the same results. And I think one of the reasons for that actually might be due to the lack of barge boards. Now, we had so much outwash. We had blown axles and so many things that were advantageous to the car itself, but were not as helpful to cars behind. 
the 2022 aero regulations in their effort to make the racing better have completely changed what the optimal design space is for a car. We no longer have these big, you know, barge boards that can move the front tire wake outboard. Now you have a real chance of having that being ingested by the car, either under the side of the floor or, or in worst case scenario, under the front of the floor, but into the downforce creating elements. And so the side pods have a much more important factor. There's a much more important factor now than I think they were previously. And I think that the ability to control that outboard, that, that front tire wake, and keep it as, as outboard as possible is going to be the deciding factor. And, and just briefly for people who may not know what barge boards are or what outwash is, barge boards were these large, heavily aerodynamically loaded surfaces that were right in front of the front lip of the floor. They were the most complicated bits of kit on the old cars. They almost look like something out of an Aliens movie. There's so many flicks and, and you know, uh, blades and things, uh, but they're designed to control the front tire wake and move it as outboard as possible. This is what we're talking about, outwash away from the center line of the car. And they're also designed to help load the floor more, to generate load at the front part of the floor. So all of these things that were accomplished by aerodynamic devices that we had in a previous era, we no longer have access to. And so the entire car has to be redesigned I don't want to presuppose what the Mercedes engineers were doing or, or weren't doing at the time that they were designing the car, but this is something that we don't have access to now that we did before. And if teams don't adapt to that accordingly, it could cause problems. Now, I don't know if what Mercedes will arrive at is exactly similar to what Red Bull has, but I think people should look at this in a slightly different way. We look at what Red Bull has done and we say, aha, that's the center of the bullseye. That's a perfect design solution. And I don't think that's correct. I just think that they're going in the right direction. We've seen how much progress Aston Martin could make, starting with a Red Bull-esque design and then developing it on their own. Imagine how much better Mercedes could do if they went in the same direction. They may not find exactly the same solution. They could even find something better. They just have to be pointed in the right direction to do so. So with the new regulations, that was just so we have closer racing but we haven't seen that in the last year or so with red bull just flying uh, away with the car so what do you think mercedes could do to, to sort of catch up with with the, the front pack i don't want to be i don't want the rules to be misunderstood um there are certainly you know, cost regulations and a few things that are designed to help get teams closer together but the technical regulations themselves in terms of improving the aerodynamic characteristics of the cars are designed to help cars that have a similar inherent pace race each other better. That's not to say that cars are all going to have the same pace as, as if they were designed by the, the same designer. The car's inherent pace is a function of so many factors that are uh, written in thousands of details in the car design. However, cars that are similarly paced will be able to race each other better. And we have seen that in terms of the ability for cars to overtake each other. As far as Mercedes goes, here's the way I would, I would look at this. Many people have the idea that if Mercedes changes their concept now, they're going to move backwards. And my counter argument is they're already moving backwards. <laughs> you know, standing still in Formula One is moving backwards. If, if you wanted to look at historical precedent, we can certainly do that as far as gauging how long it takes for a team to get back into the swing of things in the competitive order. But honestly, look at Aston Martin as the most recent example. They finished seventh last year in the Constructors' Championship, and they committed to a new design probably at the beginning of the season, but we really saw it in Barcelona last year. And they found heaps of lap time. They found something like two seconds, two and a half seconds of lap time year on year. Imagine, and again, this is no disrespect to Aston Martin's engineers and, and technical people. They've done an incredible job to get to where they are. But imagine how good of a job Mercedes could do with that same starting point. Uh, uh, think about it like this. Mercedes almost finished second in the Constructors' Championship last season, with the wrong concept. <laughs> Imagine how good they could do with, with the right concept. I mean, I mean, there, there's so much potential here. And I think that's the thing that is kind of catching people out because Mercedes did hit its aero targets as far as downforce and, and drag levels. W14 is actually much more slippery than W13, which is excellent. But the, the targets just weren't ambitious enough. And that proves that there is a lot more overhead in the development space. So, yeah, there's a lot more lap time to be found. And it's one of the reasons why I also think that Red Bull is not going to run away with the championship necessarily. Yes, they have a good chance of doing this, but there are a number of factors that can conspire together 
to prevent you from winning every single race and they help the ones that are behind so i'm looking forward to that yeah definitely i think we should have you back at the uh, end of the season and uh, see how these predictions play out that's the reason i love f1 it's just uh, it can be everyone has an opinion uh, and i love i love to hear it but uh, going back to to those aero that you mentioned earlier bryson uh, ben fish on twitter asks how will the increased time in the wind tunnel and increased computation for cfd help merc catch up or close the gap i.e what can they develop that other teams can't and i think we'll start off with what does cfd mean cfd is computational fluid dynamics it's often talked about as a, a virtual wind tunnel but it's actually much more than that because it gives you much more information about the flow than the wind tunnel does and you can rapidly go through several different designs uh quickly and evaluate them for drag you know downforce aero efficiency etc one thing I want to impress upon people, though, is that CFD is an evaluative tool and the wind tunnel is an evaluative tool. You can provide it with a geometry and an orientation, you know, crank the handle, and it will provide for you the relevant data, as I said before, downforce, drag, ride height sensitivity, things like this. But you still have to manipulate the geometry yourself to find more performance. The, the, the design of a car is just as much a reflection of the personality and the technical history of the designers as it is the science itself. I mean, yes, there are some CFD tools that have, you know, adjoint-based methods and gradient solvers that can do shape optimization to a limited degree. But by and large, the philosophy of the car is in someone's head, and then they are tuning that to what the CFD tells them to do. So Mercedes being third in the Constructors' Championship last season can only benefit them. They will get more CFD time and wind tunnel time than Ferrari or Red Bull. They will also benefit from Red Bull having the penalty from the cost cap infringement from last season. So they definitely have the tools that are needed to, to do this job, but it's not going to be easy. As I said before, the one thing you don't want to do is have holy cows and dogmatic thinking and saying, we can't do this, we can't do that because we've come you know, so far in this concept. Everything has to be on the table and there has to be a maximum of humility, I would say, in pursuing the next concept. As I said before, even if a design starts very similar to a, a, competition, a competitor's design, that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. Simply being in that part of the design space gives you the opportunity to explore it in your own way. And as I said, one of the things that Aston Martin deserves credit for is starting with a car that, you know, last season that very much looked like a Red Bull clone. But if you look at the fine details of their car now, it's much more its own design. So I think Mercedes has that in the future as well. Is, is one of the designs sort of features the, the rake of the car and how the car sits uh, on, on the track? Rake is definitely an important factor. It, it was a huge feature of, of Adrian Newey's designs uh, in the previous era of cars. The short wheelbase, very, very high rear ride height, making the entire underfloor of the car act like a big diffuser. You know, very peaky downforce, but, you know, a lot of downforce. The exact opposite of what Mercedes did. Long wheelbase, very, very low rake. What I would say about that is with the addition of these Venturi tunnels, which is like a, a three-dimensional floor as opposed to a, a flat floor like we had previously, the amount of rake that you can actually get away with before causing the entire flow to break down underneath the floor can be limited. We just don't see the same type of high rake now that we saw previously because you already have so much, you know, three-dimensional geometry under the floor already. You have so much acceleration under the floor to create downforce that pushing it even further has has limited gains without some kind of fancy illegal boundary layer control <laughs> trick to control the flow. But no, I, I definitely think that rake should be explored, but there are limits to how high it could actually get. It's certainly not going to be as extreme as it was in the previous generation, but if Mercedes can find performance there, they should definitely explore it. So Bryson, uh, what do you think that the concerns are for, for this year's car, the W14? One of the things that we were very happy about right at the beginning of testing was the discovery that the car did not have porpoising. Excellent. Amazing. <laughs> because earlier on last season, everyone was firmly convinced that the lack of side pods was a triggering factor for porpoising. We knew then that wasn't the case, but there's you know conclusive evidence now that that's, that's not the reason why. Um, I can't say without having access to their safety data or their wind tunnel data exactly what the issue is, but I can make some educated guesses. We can look at the data of what the car produced in terms of cornering speed, braking, you know, top speed. And the issue with the W14 is definitely aerodynamic in nature. It seems to have a lack of downforce overall. 
and also he seems to have issues with tire degradation. This is something that Ferrari's been struggling with as well. Uh, you may remember last season, Red Bull was the fastest car in a straight line by a mile. For, you know, both Ferrari and Mercedes reacted to this and gave their car inherently less downforce, but but higher top speed. So with that is tire degradation issues, and sometimes you can have aerodynamic efficiency issues. Um, but the number one thing that the W14 needs is more downforce. And this is why I said that talking about concept is more, it's used interchangeably with the word side pop, but it's really not quite correct. One of the key things that I noticed about the W14 when it was revealed is that the nose was actually raised higher off of the ground. If you guys noticed that, the reasons for that are usually to get more flow to the bottom of the floor, just general aerodynamics things. The more mass flow rate you can get under the floor and the more you can accelerate it, the lower its pressure will be and the more it will suck the car to the ground. Raising the front wing does that. It does give you more flow to the floor, but it also moves the front wing further away from the ground. And just like the cars themselves are featuring ground effect, you know, the lower you can get it to the ground, the more downforce it creates. The front wing is the same way. So moving that front wing up does give you more downforce in the underfloor, but gives you less downforce for the front wing. So one of the things that I think Mercedes might try to explore is to is to look at the front wing height and see if that really is the optimal position. One of the other things that we should talk about is the control of the front tire wake. Again, there are all kinds of caveats looking at pictures and, and even smoke from a locked tire uh, as to why that might not be the perfect way to analyze aerodynamics. But from what we could see, there did seem to be, looking into turn 10 with a locked wheel, there seemed to be a lot of the front tire wake being ingested into the back end of the fuser and the, the beam wing and the rear wing, it's the, the back end of the car. Uh, that's not good. Um, that flow is low energy and it robs the car of downforce. So when I talk about the, the wake of a car, what I'm talking about is an area where the flow is separated behind the, the wheel or a wing or what have you, wouldn't be separated off of a wing, but a general area of the flow where the stagnation pressure is lower. What I mean by that is if the flow is brought to rest in the reference frame that you're in, the impact pressure will be less than it would be in the free stream. It's kind of like if you put your hand out in the wind and you put your own hand behind the first one, you don't feel the same forces that the front hand is feeling because the, the, you're in the wake of the, the uh, object in front. It's one of the reasons why you want the front tire wake to actually impact the rear tire because it reduces the rear tire drag. But that's in the reference frame of the car, which is to say, you know, the, if I were to have a term that was energy was related to stagnation pressure, it would be reduced in those areas where the wake is, is, uh, is, is strong. But if you flip that and go to the reference frame of the, the free stream, you're actually adding energy to the flow, which is to say the car is putting work into the flow and is actually giving it energy. So removing energy from the reference frame of the car is adding it to the absolute reference frame. A perfect way to understand this is when the car flies past you, the air is rushing, chasing the car behind, right? It wasn't moving initially but it's suddenly going at a very fast speed behind the, behind the car that just went by. That's adding overall kinetic energy and, and other forms of energy to the flow that weren't there before. And that is exactly what aerodynamic drag is. Aerodynamic drag is the mechanism by which energy is transferred from a moving object to the airflow around it. And there's many types of drag. There's induced drag, there's profile drag. And all these things are related to how the airflow is spinning and the precise ways in which it moves in, in the wake of the car behind. So I think the, the easiest way to think about this is air has a potential for creating downforce or drag or what have you. You don't want drag, but it has that same potential. There are different parts of the flow that have greater potential or less potential, depending on what part they experienced upstream. So if they've gone through a rotating tire or a spinning turbulent uh, flow that comes off the tire, it has less potential to be turned from you know pressure and velocity into forces. That's the way you would think about low energy. Again, people think that the floor is the most important part of the car, and it definitely is, but it's influenced by every other part of the car, including where the front tire wake goes. So just making sure that that front tire wake stays as far away from the key elements as possible that's an important thing. That's one of the reasons why wider side pods seem to be a positive thing in this current design era is because we, as I said before, we no longer have the same outwash that we had previously to keep that wake away from the critical components of the car. The good news is the top speed of the W14 is actually quite good. It's probably the 
third fastest team maybe in, in terms of top speed as, as Bahrain uh, seemed to show. So they're not lacking in top speed or, or power in, in a meaningful sense. That was a major concern previously. I think they're definitely in a competitive situation there. They just need more downforce overall. And adding more downforce will help with that tire wear uh, question. One thing I do want to say about how they would manipulate their design, I think that there's more to be said about how the side pod influences the side of the floor. And there's a lot of talk about sealing the side of the floor, you know, to keep the downforce. That's not quite accurate. You, you can't perfectly seal the floor edge with the vortex. And also you wouldn't really want to either because the front of the floor actually has flow going outwards instead of inwards anyway. Um, but I think there's a lot more development space there. I, I think that, as I said before, we look at the RP19 as this perfect all-conquering car, and by all rights, it seems to be very, very fast. But there's a lot more uh, pace that's available, and I think I'm looking forward to seeing what Mercedes, uh, how Mercedes explores that space. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Uh, let's step away from, from the technical stuff just for a minute and talk about the drivers, especially Lewis. So at Kodakadath remarked, since Lewis contract talks are in the news, do you think, Bryson, another season without success would make him reconsider retirement? And what do you think about future drive possibilities, including via Mercedes Driver Academy lineup? I am 36, but I am available if Toto Wolf is listening. If they want me to drive in 2024, <laughs> I, I am free. It's a curious question because one of the reasons why Mercedes' recent downturn in form has been so painful to so many fans is because the specter of Abu Dhabi 2021 still looms large in the collective memory of F1 fans. Many people look to Lewis winning an eighth championship as the thing that will somehow make that right. Uh, I think objectively there are things that were taken away in that event, in that moment that can't ever be given back. Yeah, I read a uh, a quote from yourself where it said, um, if Abu Dhabi 2021 doesn't make Lewis retire, nothing will. So what I wanted to convey there is that what motivates a person to return to racing after something like that was done to them is profound. It's yeah. deep. It's bigger than just how many championships could a person win? How successful am I, am I today? There's so much more going on there. I mean, the the psychological burden that Lewis Hamilton was forced to endure in Abu Dhabi 2021 is not trivial for someone to overcome that and continue racing despite a car, you know, not necessarily being up to, to, to the levels that it was previously is an indication of his resolve and his commitment to continuing to race. What I would say is Mercedes is Lewis Hamilton's home. Really? He aspired to, replicate the journey of Michael Schumacher in a sense, taking a team that was not in a competitive form and building it up to be competitive. What he has now is an opportunity to do something even greater than that, which is to take a team, build it to a high level, see it go through another period of struggle, help to build it back up even again, and to potentially become successful again. That's something that very few people have the opportunity to do, and he does have the opportunity to do if he if he you know sticks with it. Just one thing I want to say about this is that, and again, all of us are guilty of it to a degree. 
we cannot put the pressure of an eighth championship on Lewis Hamilton as a a signal or a marker to determine if he was successful in some abstract sense or should continue racing. He did everything he needed to do and more to win the 2021 championship. And it's not really fair of us to put on him additional pressure to, to win a championship for some sort of, uh, to prove something. He's proven everything that he needs to. All I would say is I hope for him the most success that is available to him based on the combination of his talent and opportunities presented to him. But he's racing for the love of racing, and I just hope he continues to do so. I love the way how you articulated that answer, Bryson. It's 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 very beautiful to to share. So I appreciate that. And just one question that I want to ask you: if you if you had the opportunity to interview Lewis, what one question? And I know I'm being horrible here, but what one question w- would you ask him, Bryson? How do you do it? Uh, <laughs> how 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 do you do it? Because. I think everyone understands in some general sense how unbelievably good Formula One drivers are. If you actually see them racing their cars on the, they're they're dancing on the limit of adhesion at 300 kilometers per hour. But that in itself is hard enough. It would be even harder to do that in an environment where there is a, a large and vocal group of people who don't want you to succeed, who, who are actively invested in your failure. Right? And, I, and I can tell you, any sort of overt struggles that Mercedes is having or Lewis has for one race or another is kind of like the Super Bowl for people who don't like Lewis Hamilton or Mercedes. And so to be as positive as he has been, to be as friendly and magnanimous, you know, in the face of injury as, as he has been, is just incredible. Uh, it's, it's so much more than I think many of us realize or, or could replicate. So I just want to know how he does what he does. I, I have no idea how, how he does that to be so good for so long. Um, but but his his uh, talent is very impressive. And I would just like to just talk to him for five seconds and ask, how do you do that? <laughs> you mentioned Lewis, but I'd love to talk to you about that dynamic with, with the other driver uh, in the W14, uh, George Russell. So what do you think that the relationship them two have? One is, is coming, arguably, to, to the end of his career. Uh, and George, on the other hand, is just coming up. I know he raced for, for Williams the last couple of seasons, but he, he's been in Mercedes for, for a, a year now. So what do you think the dynamic is between the two two British drivers? It, it's so fascinating and it's so rare for someone who watched their favorite driver, you know, growing up and seeing them win championships and titles actually is is given the opportunity at a later point in time to be able to race against them and then also with them. I think perhaps uh, Carlos Sainz maybe has that a little bit with Fernando Alonso as well. Um, But Lewis has always had a a mentorship role with George. And the thing that it kind of needs to be emphasized about George and especially his relationship to Mercedes is that Mercedes has always viewed George as their future number one. George would never join the team as a a number two driver, either currently or, or anytime in the future. And so Lewis's relationship to him, as far as I can tell, seems to be one of mentorship. It seems to be one of not so much explaining the ropes, so to speak, because George understands extremely well what the ropes are, but just being the support that he needs in the times that he needs him. What impresses me about George is how competitive he's been. Yes, last season was you know, blighted by caveats of changing the setup of the car and having to run sensors and asymmetric things. And we've talked about some of the differences that were there in particular races and even just luck and things like that. But to be clear, George was always close enough for that difference to make a difference. So it's not like George was half a second behind, two seconds behind, and these small differences didn't matter. He he was right there. So so George is already proving to me that he is one of the most uh, talented drivers on the grid currently, and the combination of him and Lewis Hamilton is actually the most talented driver pairing on the grid. So I suspect that if Mercedes can put themselves in a situation where they produce a car that's actually competitive, they will be able to secure championships. There's always concern about friction between Lewis and between George. As I said, the there's fears of a, of a second silver war as we had with Nico Rosberg, but Nico and Lewis came up together. They were similarly aged and that battle, that competition existed between them from the very earliest days in karting, given the age difference. And as you said, given the difference in the progression of their respective careers, I don't see that same situation happening with Lewis and George. But to be clear, there will be friction there. 
I'm sure there will be conflicts there, but I don't imagine a scenario in which engineers are being secretive on one side of the garage and not telling someone something and all these mind games being played. There's really no time for that right now. Mercedes is in a very difficult situation. It's all hands on deck to make progress, and that's what they're going to have to do. Lewis's contract ends at the, at the uh, end of this season. So, And I'm wording this very specifically for you, Bryson. Do you think Lewis is going to be in a car next year in 24? I do, fundamentally. And as I said before, this pressure that's being put on him externally to win his eighth championship as I've already said, he's already done everything he needed to do to win the ninth championship. I mean, the 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 most charitable version of events of why he does not have an eighth championship is because one person thought it would be more entertaining if the rules of the race were changed mid-race. Yeah. And that decision was reified by the stewards. But but to be clear, as I said before, you you mentioned my previous quote. If if someone does not retire after uh the challenges, the burden of what happened in Abu Dhabi, then having a, a slow car will not cause him to, to retire. But to be clear, that's not letting Mercedes off the hook. Mercedes definitely has dropped the ball in a sense in terms of providing Lewis with the competitive car to, to fight for that championship. But it seems to me that there are deeper factors involved as to why Lewis has been with the team as long as he has and the environment he's trying to build there. To be clear, I don't want to throw any engineers under the bus either at Mercedes or the technical team there. I can promise you there are extremely talented, extremely motivated, and highly respected engineers working their you-know-what off constantly to provide a, a competitive car for, for Lewis and for George. I know because I talked to some of them. <laughs> um, and, and they're working incredibly hard. And honestly people need to understand how difficult it actually is to build a Formula One car, let alone one that can compete for championships. So what I would say is let's not take the Ferrari path or the football path of, you know, immediately sacking people when things don't go correctly. Let's ad admit that there was an issue and, and clearly there was, I respect them for doing that, admit that there was an issue and then push forward in the right direction establish what are the most important factors to work on and then how do you knock those out immediately? As I said before, it's not the case that changing concepts will mean that no car will be developed at all in 2023. And also people fear that there'll be some sort of a Haas 2021 situation where there is zero development of the car the entire season. The reason why that can't happen, you might be asking, how does he know that? How does Bryson know it's going to happen? The reason why is because there was a major regulation change going from 2021 to 2022, and no development whatsoever of 2021 mattered for 2022. That's not the case this year. And in fact, it wasn't the case last year. Um, so even though there will be a concept change for the Mercedes uh, you know, car, the current version of it will change. That's not to say that things that we learn or things that are learned in this season will not have application for the next season. So the best way to gather data, well, it's a triggering phrase for some, but the best way to gather data and, and learn the best way to build a fast race car is to actually build it in the current season and race it. It doesn't really help you that much if you are toiling away in the, in the factory, building an all-conquering car that you think is incredible, and then you have no data on it until preseason testing. The smart thing to do is to change that design direction, build parts that are consistent with that, and then put them on the current car, get gather data during the races, see how, how good of a job they do, that puts you in an even better position for the next season. That's what Aston Martin did, Williams did, and, and McLaren to a degree, although McLaren has some of their own issues this season. So Bryson, we're hearing lots of rumors that Mike Elliott is is under so much pressure. What's your thoughts on that? And what kind of sort of pressure do you think he'll be under uh, uh, over at the factory? You know, it's an interesting situation because Mercedes as a team has been so dominant for so long. Uh, they have left their competitors crumbs, essentially, at, at the feast of, of competition. Now that Mercedes is uh, experiencing difficulties, experiencing challenges, not only in a single season, but now it seems to be a sustained challenge that they're experiencing. The uproar and the reaction to that has been incredible. There's been rumors, there's been swirling things about ultimatums and different teams getting different engines and all, all sorts of late night meetings. Um, let's just try to put a, a, a point on this and, and address it as clearly as we can. There's no question that Mercedes has under-delivered 
with respect to not only their own expectations, but what the expectations of fans are. There's no question that they are not currently where they expected to be. And that is a consequence of the direction that they've chosen to, to go in over a sustained period of 12 months and longer even because the design of the, even the W13 started many years ago. So there's no question that there is pressure on the technical leadership of a team to produce some sort of result. But a big part of that is understanding how they got to that point in the first place. Now, is it to say that, you know, um, Mike Elliott is under pressure to deliver a result? Absolutely. Does that mean he's going to be fired if the car isn't seven tenths faster in four races? That sounds like nonsense to me. And even if someone attempted to do that, it, it would be ill-advised to do that. As I said before, the team is full of incredibly talented and motivated people doing their best to find performance where they can. They just seem to have been caught in what uh, James Allison calls the bear traps, the bear traps in the design space that look very tempting, but have the potential to cause serious problems. So all that's really needed is a focus to go in a different direction, to be adventurous, to tread new ground, as Toto said. But Mike Elliott is, yes, he, he was the, the technical di director. He, it is under his watch under which these things happened. But I'm, I'm just not in the camp of, of him being uh, removed in any sense because of this. He's been integral to the success of the Mercedes team from the very beginning. I think 2012, he was actually in, in the team. Uh, he's a brilliant aerodynamicist as well. Being promoted to the technical director role has its consequences, but I think he's more than up to the challenge. Well, just briefly, I also wanted to talk about rumors that uh, James Allison is coming back to Mercedes. Um, I believe that is correct, that he is going to be more involved, but he's not going to be parachuted into Mike Elliott's role and <laughs> pushes him away from his desk and then sits down and then starts working. Uh, that's not how organizations work, and it's not how I would want them to work either. I think oftentimes we mythologize engineers in a way that is interesting, but not always helpful. Individual people always have um, a positive impact on the team, and they're obviously very important, but it is a team, and there are hundreds of people involved in designing the cars and setting the design direction. It's going to take a team effort to actually get them out of it. Last year, Mercedes only had one win uh, throughout the whole calendar. That was Russell in Brazil. So, Bryce, do you, do you think Mercedes have the potential to, to win again this year or even multiple times? Yeah, it's so interesting how much extrapolation has been derived from one race at the beginning of the season in, in Bahrain, uh, the, predicting absolute domination by Red Bull. I think a lot of that is really informed by what Red Bull was able to achieve last season and how, how good they actually were in the second half. And I think that's what's kind of fueling those fears. But ultimately, the, I do think that there will be mistakes. There will be situations in which there'll be a, a bad start or a bad pit stop or someone will get the car set up wrong on a weekend like they did in, in Brazil uh, last year, that, that there are some combination of factors that always seems to conspire to prevent a team from winning every race. And Mercedes has proven last year that they have one of the greatest development potentials of, of any team. Their ability to work miracles, seemingly, um, to engineer themselves out of a bad situation has been really, really impressive. And to be honest, it's one of the reasons why it's taken so long to really go away from the current concept of the car is because they are so good. They are able to actually find lap time. They are actually able to get results when other people aren't expecting them to get them. And so that potential of development combined with the increasing and compounding effect of cost cap changes and and budgeting and, and testing restrictions. Uh, I do believe that Mercedes and some and Aston Martin as well will be in a position to capitalize on the mistakes and or misfortune of other teams to be able to get a few surprise results. Now, granted, it would take several miracles in sequence to be able to get Mercedes to, to fight for the championship currently. But I do think the team is capable of, of, of snatching a race win or two and depending on how aggressively and how successfully they pivot on their design concept, that there could be more on the table. As I said before, we're in this frame of mind of looking at what Red Bull has currently produced as the perfect Formula One car under the current regulations. And we haven't really seen Mercedes take a stab at that same type of concept and put their own spin on it. As I said before, 
there's a lot more lap time to be found on the table. It's going to continue happening the entire season and, and next season as well. These regulations are still a bit too fresh. We're only in the sophomore year. So I think that there's going to be a lot more uh, pace to be found. And also looking at Mercedes's uh, hulking shoulders, the engine cover on their car, uh, something that no other team seemed to have, emphasizes that they're still willing to push the boundaries of design. They're still they're still willing to be uh, explorative in in the design space and find things that other teams haven't found. I know Red Bull is in a very commanding position right now, but I can promise you, someone at Red Bull is looking at that engine cover now. <laughs> someone at Red Bull is doing safety evaluations of the the gullies, as as Mike Elliott uh, calls them. So there's really no limit to how good this could become eventually. You just have to make the decision to go in, in the right direction. So I, I do think that Mercedes is capable of, of winning uh, a race or two this season. I also think that the battle with Aston Martin is going to be quite entertaining. Everyone has predicted Aston Martin will just fall away because they don't have the resources, they don't have the time that Mercedes has. Those arguments make sense. But in the past, we would use those same arguments to say why Aston Martin could never reach the top three in the first place. And, and yet they did. They did get to the top three. So I definitely think there's going to be a very exciting battle there, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. What circuit do you think would the current setup of the W14 really, really favor? I, I My personal opinion is maybe the Jeddah this weekend, but what, in your opinion, do you think the current W14 is perfectly set up for? You know, Jeddah is an interesting track because... It does have some higher speed corners, which is would not be the best for the W14, but it's got a lot of straights. Yeah, that's um, what I, was thinking. I think the issue that people so I, the top speed uh, that the W14 has will definitely play up to the w, to uh, to Jetta circuit, but so would that, to Ferrari as well. Ferrari has like the highest top speed by a kilometer per hour or so. I think one of the areas that people aren't really recognizing how important downforce is is in braking. I know we always think of downforce in terms of generic tire degradation, and we think of it in terms of high-speed cornering, but that early phase of braking, you can get a full G of deceleration just from aerodynamic drag. And that extra downforce load on the tires will help you hit the brakes harder before they lock up, if that makes sense. So any track that has big stops might still be kind of an issue. Monza might not be bad uh, for the W14, but to be clear, we know major changes are coming. As I said before, you know, there's already something in the pipeline coming for Imola, given the severity and the, and the precarious situation that the team finds itself in, they may even try to bring that forward a race or two. And even some of these design changes that we're talking about, they may try to force into that uh, update, even though it was initially not designed around it. So I definitely think that the relative strengths and weaknesses that we're just as ascribing to the W14 need to kind of be taken with a grain of salt because the car is going to be changing constantly anyway, number one. And number two, we've only been to one race. We've been to Bahrain, which is an extremely uh, aggressive track surface. It's very rear limited. A lot of uh, traction zones, it, it chews through tires. It's probably the most uh, tire sensitive track on the calendar in terms of degradation. So I'm a little bit cautious in extrapolating the performance trends that we see from Bahrain and applying them to other races. I want to see how the cars do in Jeddah. Let's see how they do in Melbourne. And then we'll have a, a more rounded uh, picture to figure out what the best tracks would be. But as I said before, this is a development war, especially with Mercedes, you know, circling the wagons, having all hands on deck. They're going to build new iterations of that car all the time. And those strengths and weaknesses will change as well. And finally, a quick question to finish. At RIP, Waterdog has a very cheeky question. Spicy engines to Aston, rumors true, question mark. Uh, no. <laughs> so so I, I, think, I, think, I think the best way to approach this, as, as I said before, the, the reaction to Mercedes struggling has produced so many different stories from many different things. Not only is there a technical regulation in place that requires uh, a works team to supply their customer with exactly the same type of engine, exactly the same engine modes that they have, but also there's a, a semi-randomized way in which the engines are, are uh, selected for teams. So it's just, that's not a, a statement based in reality. I could comfortably, you know, put that in the category of not true. <laughs> there we go. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Bryson. But before you leave, could you give us a quick 30 seconds on how you think this weekend will go for Mercedes? I think that 
this weekend represents the first step in the right direction. As I said before, it seems to be painful. It seems to be frustrating that a team would, after a single race, admit that their concept is fundamentally flawed and commit to a different design direction. That seems like a like a, a setback, and it certainly is. But you have to do that if you want to make actual progress. If you want to choose between having a car that looks un- unmistakably unique, totally unique in the grid, but it's not fast, versus one that's vaguely similar to other cars, but is very fast, uh, 10 times out of 10, you would, you would choose the latter. Now, to be clear, the big changes that we're talking about aren't really going to be coming for, for Jetta, um, but they are coming eventually. And even if they aren't, there are other changes that the team is working on. I think there might be a new floor modification that's going to be coming um, this weekend. Honestly, Mercedes needs to bring back the slot gap separators. You remember the ones from Austin that they didn't race that Ferrari now has that are that are legal. Um, given the state the team is in, bring back everything. Don't leave anything on the table. Bring back the slot gap separators. Bring back the not not technically illegal, but probably legal. You know, end plates. You know, push push the boundaries. Uh, explore places you weren't exploring before. And as I said before, this is this is Jetta. I mean, it is like the Indy 500 of Formula One um, in terms of speed and proximity to barriers. So anything can happen. There's mechanical retirements. There's all kinds of things that can happen. Very, very different track surface. Very, very different track layout. I mean, you could even get a podium. Who knows? Anything can happen. Um, But I'm very much looking forward to the weekend and uh, looking forward to seeing what Mercedes can do. And that's about it for this week. A massive thank you to Bryson for joining us. There's a link to his social media channels in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Do remember to follow us on Twitter at Merck F1 Pod and hit that follow button in your podcast app. If you're feeling extra kind, drop us a review or share it on your social media to help get this in the ears of those who enjoy it. See you after Jeddah. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.